Hi, Bez. How are you doing today? I am excited to be here. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, Brian, I learned <laughs> I'm, I'm doing well. I learned the difference between bees and yellow jackets about 10 minutes ago, so I'm doing great. Bees and yellow jackets? Yeah. Okay. Um, so is, is that something you can tell everybody at home? I mean, I don't know the difference between them. Is the yellow jackets a type of wasp? Uh, yeah, let, let me let me give an introduction, and, and then Brian can in, introduce these and yellow jackets and what happened there. Yeah. You're listening to Board Again Games Season Three, Episode Four, where we talk with Bez from Stuff by Bez, as she talks about game design and some of her favorite gaming experiences and what motivates her in games as well as cats. Thanks for listening as we continue to explore the world of tabletop gaming. Yeah, so so Bez, if if you don't know Bez, Bez is a designer, developer, consultant, artist, self-publisher, streamer, and reviewer. And she has worked on Yogi, uh, which is the best party game of physical constraints, Kitty Cataclysm, which is a chaotic card play, uh, has chaotic card play and a whole lot of cat puns, the L deck, which is a lovingly curated game system, and lots of other fun stuff. Um, and she streams daily at 10 a.m. in the UK. Uh, so not U.S. time, but U.K. And does lots of fun things, chats and playlongs. I, I watched some. Um, there's a lot of fun there. So we're excited to have uh, Bez with us. Uh, Bez is currently working on Categoric L and We Whimsical Creatures, which I have behind Or me. to give it its full title, a oh. game about We Whimsical Creatures and trying to identify them after someone makes noises. Because I was trying to work out, oh, what should this be called? And then someone suggested, well, you just talked about how it's got these wee whimsical creatures. So that would be a great title, wee whimsical creatures. And then someone on my stream suggested, oh, there should be more alliteration, have wee whimsical weirdos or musical monstrosities or something else. And then a few people suggested things and then people liked wee whimsical creatures. And then I thought, you know what? Even though that's not the alliterative one, it feels like it's got almost a Victorian vibe. So let me go the full way to just getting the title and the subtitle and the instructions and the description all mixed in together, like I believe they did a hundred years ago. <laughs> I, I, like I love it. it. It's it's uh, the, the only thing that scares me a little bit is all the teeth. Some, I mean, that's what <laughs> makes them monsters for me is, is some of them have a lot of teeth. But um, no, I, I, I love the, the, the full title there. Um, so on that note about monsters, Ryan can share with you real quick and then we'll talk about games, his experience, because you might get a kick out of this, his experience finding out uh, uh, that yellow jackets are not bees. Well, I've just been having a lot of fun because I did some yard work with a bobcat with some heavy machinery with my neighbor. And Ooh. I've been telling everybody that um, um, I've been asking everyone if they want to see my bee hole in my yard. And, um, and then I found out as Christopher and I were talking that it wasn't a bee hole. It was a wasp hole, but it's just really fun to, okay. you know, and, but the difference between yellow jackets and bees are, I don't think I could use the same term that we used earlier. Yellow jackets are sleeker, more aerodynamic. Um, and <laughs> I, I the bees know. are furry. 
Yeah, the bees are. I didn't know. I didn't know. It's just uh, yellow jackets are are sexy bees. Well, that's a really weird way to put it. Are you finding yourself attracted to them? Do we need to kind of get Freud in here? I am. I uh, no. They stung me. I'm not. We're not cool. We're not cool. Um, Okay. And I feel. I mean, it sounds like an abusive relationship. Yeah, I just they um, but they're sleek, and I was just like. I didn't know. I didn't know. I was like, I, you know, you think 38 years old, I would know what a yellow uh, jacket looked like. I thought they were a lot bigger. You know, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, there are so many creatures and like, yeah, insects and things under the sea and all sorts of things that we never interact with that often. And so even though, yeah, sure, a lot of, these wee whimsical creatures to bring it back are like really fantastical but you know i could imagine maybe potentially one or two of them actually existing somewhere you never know i think bees have whimsy i think Mm. and yellow jackets don't (laughs) you think the fur you think if something's furrier it's more whimsical Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and they don't hurt as much and they're less likely to sting you because bees die after they sting you, whereas wasps can sting you and survive. Correct. Because <laughs> they don't have any whimsy. They just have malice. Hmm. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I wasn't going to go here, but now you made me think. Bez, have you seen that video of the lady holding the tiny little orange and purple octopus? No? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so on that note, because uh, you mentioned things like down deep in the sea and so forth, there's this octopus that bites you, and you don't really even feel the bite, but it injects venom when it bites you, and then you can die within like three or four hours. And this lady is just like walking around holding this thing because she thinks it's wee and whimsical. <laughs> so anyway, um, how did you get into game design? Wow, so... Um... Back, back pedal. Yep. Um, so, yeah, game design. My first ever memory is of a ZX Spectrum loading screen. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Done by Clive Sinclair back in the day, a UK um, electronics person. They came up with a whole bunch of inventions, one of which was the ZX Spectrum. Originally, you had to load things using tape cassettes, and so it would make a horrible noise like an old 24 bits or 56K, whatever modem going, and then after 10 minutes or so of this quite excruciating noise and lights flickering, you might be able to get a game. I remember my siblings playing one of these games, and this was back when I was just learning what a TV was. And so to have them interact with it, that was phenomenal. And in my formative years, I played things like Arkanoid, Load Runner, and Prince of Persia, classic games. And then there were just weird games like Circus Charlie. And of course, you know, then I got my own Mega Drive and SNES. And I was fascinated with these things. I used to draw maps of, hey, if there was a side scroller, how would it work? If there was a 3D game, how would it work? And I'd kind of draw topography using the contour lines of a map, if you know what I mean, to try and Mm -hmm. simulate things going over one another and thinking about these 3D spaces. And 
my whole life, I have just been fascinated by the way that rules can bring about certain behaviors mm -hmm. and allow us world to explore. Because sure, the real world is super cool, but sometimes it can be a little bit scary, if you know what I mean. Sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming. And I think, mm. <laughs> And sometimes you want to be like, okay, we're going to be in this magic circle and no one's going to be stung with wasps. And where the worst that can happen is that someone backstabs you or maybe someone, um, you know, beats you up within the scope of the game, not in real life. And you know exactly what's going to happen. And so I think for... I am probably on the autistic spectrum. It helps me have that reassurance of this is what's going to happen. And I like that. Anyway, I went to university to study um, computer game design technology. It was meant to be half design, half programming. In the end, they took out the design, they put in programming. I was really disappointed, but I still enjoyed bits of it then second year this is too much i don't want to be programming a phone book i understand if you want to be a programmer it's useful to understand pointers and everything this is not for me went and worked in retail for a while and then this is where i rediscovered board games of course i had fallen in love with them with escape from called it not to mention the old stuff like yeah sure um, Monopoly and Risk, they're not games that I would choose to play today, but as family games, I had a lot of fun playing these games. And sure, you could argue, oh, would you have had more fun with another game? But those games are better than nothing. Let's, I'm going to put it that way. I mean, if nothing else existed in the world, sure, I would play Monopoly. And um, let's, I'm not here to badmouth Monopoly like that kind of, especially on this kind of podcast, that's like the little easiest target. But um, my point is that I discovered, oh my gosh, there's all these new games like Hive and Pelago and all these new games that had been brought to life within the past 20 years. And then I played them and I learned about them and I discovered Board Game Geek and I went to a board game club. And I'd already been trying to make my own pencil and paper things because I was just fascinated with games of all sorts. I'm a person who I love, frankly, I don't play sports that often, but yeah, sometimes I do enjoy playing tennis in a cooperative way. Just how many times can we hit it back and forth? And once we get into the tens, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. You know what I mean? I'm not good at tennis, but, and I like to, you know, play things. I like playing role-playing games. I like LARPing. And so when back when I was focusing very much on video games, I did create a couple of games using just decks of playing cards because I'd been told, hey, this is a cool thing to do. And so it really, when I discovered everything, it was like, oh, I could do that and I could do that and I could do that. I just wanted to engage with it. I just love thinking more deeply about things. When I fell in love with comics, I wanted to start drawing my own. And it's a similar thing here. Games are one of the things that I love more than anything in the world. And so for that reason, I want to make my own. Now I made my own, I got people to play them and they were all terrible. And um, you know, in Glasgow, it's quite a favor to get people to play your stuff because 
they could play all these published games and it's just a bunch of game groups. There's no playtest group as such. And so it was really coming down to London 10 years ago where there was a dedicated playtest group at the time only twice a month. But even that was sufficient to be like, okay, everyone here is expecting to play something. It doesn't matter how bad it is. They are going to take the time to consider it, to give me feedback. And it felt like all these people were in some essence being mentors, giving me an hour of their time to play through this thing and say, this is exactly why it's bad. And sometimes that advice was not great. Sometimes I, at a certain point, I learned to learn that you don't have to listen to everyone. You have to sometimes as you are, <laughs> I don't know, Ryan, if that's saying you have to brush it off. Um, but sometimes, yeah, every person, every bit of feedback that someone gives you is revealing something. Either it's about your game and how you can make it better, or it's telling you that this person isn't the right audience for your game, or maybe there's some other lesson. But I've just, that's pretty much it, Playtest UK. Okay. I mean, that, that was a lot. <laughs> so when you say that's pretty much it, that, 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 that's a lot. So um, what, what are, are, are you doing stuff online with that group then, uh, with the way things are? Or how, how have you uh, playtested over the last year and a half? Oof. Pretty much, I haven't done very much at all. Okay. For a while, when things locked down, we tried to meet up every Friday on video. And then at, after a couple of months, I think a few of us realized, actually, this just isn't working for us. We make games that we want to be able to play on paper. And when you go to one of these groups, it's not just about playing the game from a mechanical point of view. It's also about being able to see these people's reactions and being able yeah. to negotiate that space. And also there's a little bit of, yeah, friendship and everything that's there. But yeah. I realized after a few months, I'm just not going to use Tabletop Simulator or Tabletopia. And there's a whole bunch of dexterity-based games, noise-based games that you just can't really interact. The, the dynamic around a computer screen when I'm talking to you, as much as I'm loving doing this, if we were around this table right now, if I were around your table or vice versa, we would yeah. have a slightly different dynamic, right? Absolutely. But, Luckily, over the past um, two, three weeks, I want to say, we have been restarting. So hopefully within a month, we will be almost back to normal, where, yes, you go into the building and it's opening at 12 o'clock just now rather than 10. And you have to wear a mask at certain points. But And maybe we will say, please, everyone take a test before you come in in the morning, because it's an easy way to make sure that things don't get transmitted. But yeah, we are getting back to how I would like things to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, and that, that's what I was gonna say. A lot of uh, your current games um, seem like a big departure from that early kind of programming related thing. They, 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 they seem more um, about the social interaction that's happening <laughs> and the thing that, that uh, indefinable thing that's happening there at the table. Um, so I, I, be, I bet you've been missing that. Um, do you have a, a favorite board game or tabletop game experience yourself? 
my gosh, like there's so many that I can point to and I don't want to single just one out. Sure. Um, the, the thing that jumps into my mind right now, having just been back from UK Games Expo, is just seeing people play your thing and seeing people engage with something that I've made and having people think, oh, I've got to make noises and then I show them and then sometimes there's one person who can see is a little bit perturbed by the idea of having to put themselves out there and make noises but by the time it comes to their turn they're really happy to do it and it's really nice to see people get engaged and laugh and enjoy something around the table that I essentially facilitated if I were to say something um I I don't I could yeah there's definitely an ego involved there Whatever I made, I enjoy people watching it. I could point to some games, like I could say Team Tower, where you've got to hook and everyone's holding ropes and you've got to pick up things off the floor. I could point to playing repeated games of Go with a friend where we're trying to outsmart each other and having a conversation. I could talk about Jungle Speed, where when I got really good and then there was another person in London who was amazingly good at it and... I just come to London and so we had a two-player game because it was a big show and then when I say a big show, it was a big show for us. I mean, it was like, hey, we finally met someone who's almost as good who's as good as the game as me. And I think they might have won like 2-0, two 2-1. Nil, two um, so like, yeah, we decided to, but it's just a rat about the people around the table. Do you know what I mean? I don't care if it's strategic or expressive or flicking or whatever I just want to be connected with the people around the table and experience something satisfying even if I'm on my own yeah what is jungle speed because I don't know that game do you know it Ryan um, yeah I'm hitting google okay <laughs> jungle speed is like snap but psychotic so okay. Basically, the thing about Jungle Speed is that it, um, so you know in Snap, so basically you've got a bunch of cards, you're flipping them over until your card matches someone else's. The patterns have to be identical. But the whole thing about Jungle Speed is that a lot of the patterns are deliberately designed to confuse you. So you might have a star with four points and little pyramids of the other four corners and then you might have a, another star which is exactly the same but then the points are slightly um going into swirls at the end and then you might have another star that's exactly the same but then instead of those four diamonds it goes inwards and so it's designed to confuse you so that you go to grab the totem which is what you do when there's a match and you're like oh I, oh no it's different and it's that two or three seconds of uncertainty that launch it from just being a pure go as fast as you can game to the point of, ooh, is this correct? Is it not? And that element of visual recognition is something that's just joyous. It's that being confused. And being confused, I think, can be a really nice emotion. You could argue that it's why a lot of people get drunk. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I was good at I was good at that game. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we, with uh, 
the whimsical creatures, and also you have a, a new version. Again, is version correct, or, or how do you talk about the L game? Uh, let's talk about the L game first. Um, with, with I saw the mushrooms. Um, actually, I saw that before uh, we started talking. Somebody had shared a picture because they were submitting it to you. Uh, the, the typography kind of little contest you had going on. So um, what, what's up with the L game? Um, how does that all work? Because we haven't seen that around us here uh, before. Could, could you explain the L game to us? Sure. So the L deck was originally launched as Wibble++ because there's one game that's invented called Wibble, which is imagine a bunch of cards, two letters on each card. And if you've got one card... Oh, I've got cards um, right over there. Should I grab them? Um, it'll take me literally 20 yeah. seconds. Yeah, live your best yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, I can fill. I'm excellent at filling dead air. I used to play speed, which looks like jungle speed, and um, in summer camp. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I used to be pretty good until I got crushed. And then I was like, wow, I'm bad at this game. Yeah, as, as Buzz said, Snap, I, I was thinking, I, I think that we would call that speed here in the US. Yeah, okay. They're... So the L deck has two letters on each card. And so put two cards in the middle, shout a word using one letter from each card, at least one letter. So if one card has NH, the other one has TM, I could say not or not or ant because he can use any additional letters he wants. Now, I keep this as a permanent obligation. So at this point, you could say toe, T-O-E, because we've just flipped over an E-W for the new replacement. But I still have to use the N-H, which I grabbed as my point. So I could have said 10. And so each time you win, you get another card and it becomes harder and harder. And then, yeah, there's a nice catch-up mechanism. I'm really proud of that. I made it, I played it, people enjoyed it. I was thinking, okay, this is a game worth publishing. But then at the time, I was doing a whole bunch of game idea designs on a blog, trying to make it a daily practice to think of some games that could potentially be reality. What I realized is that a good few of them could work with the same cards, just two letters on each card, which is something I'd done to make the L deck work. Well, we could use these to make a storytelling game. What if these two letters were the first letters of something? For example, every woman for EW or NH could be a Nazi hermit. I don't know. And um, TM could be a total mongoose as opposed to a partial mongoose because, you know, those, yeah, those half, mongoose half human things that you see all the time uh -huh. but, yeah. Um, yeah. and then you tell a story about these things i came up with an idea for a game about grabbing the cards where you're trying to match the letters or a border that okay if i added a border this could totally work and when i took it to uk games expo back in 2015 i was showing it around getting some playtesting in someone who just playtested it andrew dennison came up with an idea for alphabetical, a game where you're, you've got the cards in the middle and then you grab it or you don't grab it. And if you grab it, you need to put it on either end of your line and you can put everything in alphabetical order. You can skip letters, but for example, if you go T to W, 
Now, suddenly you have missed U and V. That's not much of a big deal. I mean, these are not the most common letters, but if you go from N to T, that might be a bigger deal. You're missing O, P, Q, R, S, and also for the record, O, S, and, well, A, E, I, N, O, R, S, T, all the let those letters are more common because it's according to how easy they are to use. But the point is that this game, alphabetical, using just the position in alphabets as an ordering system made me realize, wow, someone's come up with this game I would never have come up with. This gives me the confidence that I should make this into a game system, not just one game, but a multi-game game system. And since then, my idea has been that, well, the first edition I released with five games in the box, the second edition I released in 2019 with six games in the box. And every year there's a competition to say, please submit some game designs. And this year there was the first typography competition, which was very much just let's celebrate all the typography. And potentially if your typography is good enough and you're interested, then we'll talk about making it into a future LDEC. Because what I want is for anyone to be able to buy any one of these. And if you are on a budget, you can get one really, really cheaply print and play from my website. Um, you've got the cheaper version is Comic Sans, admittedly, and you've got to pay a bit more for the nice typeface. But yeah. if you buy that, then suddenly you can go to stuffbybest.com slash ELL, and then it redirects you to the Google directory where there's more games there than there are letters in the alphabet. And you've just got solo games and party games and thoughtful games and fast games and all sorts of things. And I just, I know that, you know, it can't do everything because for sure it can't be a thematic thing. If you want a game that's thematically about cats, for example, well, this is a terrible thing to buy. I mean, sure, you could spell cat, but there's <laughs> only so much you can do with any generic game system. By its nature, it is going to be fairly generic. But then that's why going forwards, I want to release individual decks where the typography is a bit more matched to a particular one of the games. So I'm just opening this up. And for anyone who listens to the podcast who's unable to see, this is the categorical deck where it's okay. all graffiti inspired, where functionally this is identical and this is going to, this is just a prototype. The graphics are still going to change a wee bit, but coming next year, you'll be able to buy this hopefully in a shop and it'll have the box and it'll have an achievement sheet and it'll have instructions purely for one game. But then there'll be a little bit at the back that says, oh, by the way, I hope you enjoy this game, but just so you know, this is the L deck and you can play all of these other games. And Everything in this box is trying to make you think of fast action and, you know, something that's wild and categorical is a game where you're flipping over cards and you've just got to, you've got some sort of category. So it might have been food. So for TM, you might shout turmeric and for NF, you might shout fennel or whatever. And then couple, by contrast, is a game that's all about cooperation and growing together and being really helpful and making words with each other and so this game is actually the first one that's got art that's not by me so the different suits are the leaves in the middle 
and everything is very much nature inspired. And I want people to be able to buy a typeface that matches them, if you know what I mean. So the original one was very generic. It was meant to be utilitarian, but you know, 10 years in the future, I want someone to be able to go in and buy like a heavy metal looking typeface or one that's like more of a, oh, there's one with like eyeballs and skulls mixed into the letters. And here's one with cats or here's one with, um, you know, just a modern take on 70s writing. I don't know, like all sorts of things, the same way that you would with traditional decks of playing cards. The cat one sounds pretty jellical. <laughs> well, well, the graffiti with the TMNF just made me think of Teenage Mutant Ninja Felines. Um, so, <laughs> also, also jellical. <laughs> uh, because you you like to you, you mentioned cats a few times. You like to take pictures of cats uh, at, at conventions all over, right? That, is that correct? Okay, or... so yeah, there was a thing called the cat gallery. So the way this started. Um, when was it? I want to say 2018, 2018, I think it was. And um, Essen, I was trying to promote Kitty Cataclysm, which was just coming out. And oh no, actually, scratch that. It was 2017. I'm getting my dates mixed up. But 2017, I went to Essen, asked people, hey, draw a cat, get a free gift. The point was that if people spent a few minutes drawing a cat, I would stick it on the wall and I would give them a little promo. So that might be a sticker or it might be a little poster. Or at the time, Yogi had just come out and had given, been given some promo packs from Jigamic. And so those were able to go out. Now, after a few hours, you know, I was surprised by how much people just wanted to draw cats, not for the gifts, but for the sake of drawing cats. <laughs> and so I took off that poster and I just said, draw a cat. And so many people wanted to draw a cat, even though they didn't know that they were going to get a free gift. And at the end, you know, for a lot of them, I would say, hey, do you want a little promo as thank you? And then they would say, oh, thank you very much. But I went home and I think I had like 360, something like that, <laughs> cat pictures that people had drawn. Some of them were from people that I will I wouldn't recognize their name again or their face again. Some of them were from people who've become people who really engage with my stuff. And I see them at lots of essence. And a couple of them were from designers I seriously respect, like Tim Fowers. And I was like, wow, you came to my stand. Thank you very much. And then Tim was just happy that I'd been entertaining his kids. So <laughs> that was really fun. And drew a cat. Um, but yeah, so then that became a thing. I went to Glasgow Games Festival, put them up on a wall and asked people to contribute. Then I took it to um, Aircon in Harrogate and then UK Games Expo, then Tabletop Scotland and then Essen again, where I put up everything. And then it became so big that I couldn't put up the whole thing at every convention I went to. So the smaller conventions, I could only put up maybe a few hundred of these sticker of these little blank cards that people had been drawing onto. But then UK Games Expo 2019 was the last time that it came out, sadly, because it takes so much time to put up all the previous things. And there was something just wonderful about the cat gallery growing and growing every time and people putting 
by the end of that, there were about 2,000 um, little cards with cats drawn on them by a variety of people. We had rules. Over the first few months, I had to develop some rules. I had said, firstly, only black, white, and red are allowed. You're not allowed to use any other colors. And second rule was only one cat drawing per person per day. I wasn't happy someone just sitting there and doing lots and lots. But if you are so into it that you want to come back the next day and draw another cat, then feel free to do it. And I would love to bring it back, but it takes literally um, tens of hours to put them up, divided admittedly between the people. But if it takes five people three hours to put up just before UK Games Expo 2019, and it would take even longer now, I'm... I just can't make it a regular thing anymore. But having said all that, I have been thinking 2019 was when Kitty Cataclysm, which was the game that was meant to celebrate, finally came out. And so I'm going to make it maybe on the five-year anniversary, UK Games Expo 2024. You possibly heard it here first. <laughs> um, so UK Games Expo 2024, it will be back there for the five-year anniversary. And if it's not already in print, I will do a reprint for the five-year anniversary. That sounds fantastic. Ryan, Ryan's going to have to send you a, a picture of, of his cat that he's drawn. So. My, my <laughs> little... You have to be at a convention and draw it. Oh. It's not a case oh, of we're sending gonna, We're going to come. We're going to come oh. and draw it in person. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to. I mean, totally come. We'll we'll see how things go. We'll see how things go. Remind me to get a passport. (laughs) (laughs) Has it been a while since you've been out of the US? Has it a lifetime? I mean, I've been to Canada and the Bahamas, but yeah, I'm I'm like the least well traveled person. (laughs) I mean, it's worth. I, I find it's really interesting travel because even though there's a question of environmental responsibility, and having said that, even within the USA, if you're traveling from one corner to another corner, you've got to start taking the aeroplane. But all these air miles, they really add up in terms of you know, what we're doing to the planet. So I don't think it's okay for us to be jetting off every week or whatever. But then at the same time, I think that going somewhere for a while, staying for a week or so, making a holiday out of it and coming back can do so much to help broaden the horizons of someone, get to know different ways that things work. I mean, I've really learned just through reading the way that Gen Con works is so different to all the UK conventions. And then when I went to Festival or International de Jeu in Cannes, that was so different to the way that Essen works. And yeah, it feels like the UK expos really have a certain vibe and same for all the other countries. So I think there's something really nice about. I am. Um, I did start composting. So I think in five years, the um, the amount of carbon footprint that I offset through, through composting house scraps will offset my um, carbon footprint for flying to the UK Game Expo. I am I am well traveled by reading though you know that's mm, that's mm. that's how I travel food and reading you know because that's <laughs> it's it's uh it's a lot more affordable yeah it's amazing how food is such a vital part of a culture and I think it can tell you so much about 
society, the way that food works. But yeah, I guess take any aspects of any culture and really examine it and you'll learn. I think the most important thing isn't just to be eating or to traveling, but to actually have an open mind. And I think that people who are reading, because reading and also game playing is an active thing, you have to be putting a little bit of energy and effort into there. You end up with, sorry, this, I hope this doesn't sound too elitist, but it feels like you have people who are willing to make that effort. So there are, you get a better sense of their values because, I mean, I could put anything on the screen and just let it play. And you don't know whether I'm really taking it in. You don't know whether I'm actually agreeing with it. You don't know whether I'm enjoying it. But if I'm participating in something again and again, that means I'm actually doing something actively and putting efforts into there and presumably absorbing it a wee bit more. Being present and an active participant. Mm, mm, mm. 100%. That's a really good way to put it. That's one of the things that I like about uh, what you were just sharing with the LDEC and, and so forth is that um, we would like to see games be more accessible to everybody because not everybody can go out, whether with their time or with their money, and, and play you know, a $50 or $100 or, or a um, you know, seventy-five uh, pound uh, a game. You know, they they, they can't do all these big, mm-hmm. uh, big box games. But uh, a deck of uh, of cards, especially a deck of cards that's multi-use, is accessible to anybody. Um, so that, that that's really cool to see. Um, yeah, I think that one thing that surprised me is, I guess. It took me launching the second edition of the Eldic because after I'd done the first edition and I printed like 3,000 copies of it and I still had a few left. And at this point, they've basically sold out to the point where I've got like maybe 20 of each. And it's few enough that I'm not wanting to ship them around or sell them to shops because that's eating into my margins too much. I'm just going to sell them at conventions that I go to. and. I want to kind of get the maximum value from them because I'm out of stock and I don't know when I'll be able to reprint. I mean, I will be reprinting in January, but anyway, the point is that when I did the first edition, it was 12 pounds for the deck. Then the second edition, I was thinking, should I make a cheaper version? Should I make maybe half size cards? Should I make it much smaller? I think I could afford to do it for like six or seven quid. And then people said, no, rather than go down, I think you should go up. People were asking me to do a more deluxe edition, which is the way I went for the second edition. And then when I went to conventions, it would be something like, okay, um, this one's normally £12, this one's normally £17.50. And even when I have both those things available at full price, people tend to prefer the more expensive one after they've played a few of the games. I think that's partially because maybe at that price point, okay, it's only £5 extra, but I know that if I was at the convention, I would have really been tempted to go for the cheaper one, especially, and like at conventions, I might reduce it a little bit and be like, okay, depending on the time, sometimes, okay, I'll do it for £10 or £15 for the deluxe version. 
So there's a lot of people who aren't as price conscious as I might have imagined, but still mm. there are a lot of people who aren't able to go to conventions because the people who are going to conventions are probably already the ones who have maybe a bit more of a disposable budget or who are already invested enough in the hobby that they are willing to pay a bit more. And so what I really have to focus on is getting it up to a quantity produced where I am able to bring that cost down ideally to £10 for a nice box. And that's where just having one game, so there's like three sheets of paper rather than um, seven sheets of paper like I had with the last one. Paper, people underestimate how much cost that adds. Mm. But I mean, the box is half the price, but yeah, I just hope that, yes, I will keep those versions available, but one day in the future, once I've kept that going for a bit of time, right now, for example, you can print and play if you want to until the end of the year. I'm going to say right now, I originally said until everything's back to normal from COVID, but I slashed all my online prices by 50% for my print and play. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm going to keep these half price until everything's back to normal. Like when are things going to be back to normal? It's kind of a vague notion. Do you know what I mean? And it yeah, depends oh, yeah. on your country. So yeah. I'm just going to say right here, this is the first time I've declared it publicly. End of the year, I'll be doubling the prices back to what they were normally. But the normal price is still only just one pound for the Comic Sans version or five pounds for the print and play. But then if you've got the on a budget you can buy it right now for 50 pence christopher so, where is that link i i don't have it in front of me uh, Bez. but you're gonna put it like right yeah i'll, I'll put it what, what is that link Bez? again so it's big card stuff by bears.bigcartel.com is where my web shop is so big cartel it doesn't automate it. So you send the email, you buy it, and then I have to email you the thing. Mm -hmm. So don't expect it to come within half an hour or whatever. I will probably do it within a day because I try to be at my computer at least once a day. But yeah, don't be like, okay, I'm going to buy it and play it in within an hour. Be like, don't, okay, I'm going to buy Don't it. drive to Kinko's. And then buy it at 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 the printer store. <laughs> Definitely don't and do then that. Stand there and wait. <laughs> yeah, is it? I think Kinko's closed in the U.S. I think it's a FedEx store now. So no, never oh, yeah, they got I mean, I've I've never seen one of these. I guess I never will. <laughs> well, if we need to come to Gen Con, well, yeah, you never, yeah, never mind, because they are. Yeah, I, I still call. I walk. I walk into the store, no longer called Kinko's, and I'm like, "Hey, Kinko's," and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> "We haven't been at Kinko's for twenty years." Uh, um, how else would you like to see the world of tabletop and, and board games grow in the next few years? Um, Ooh, yeah. that's a really big question. So, yeah, I think I would like more focus on things being reused. I would like more focus. I mean, that kind of goes into a multi-game game system, like when... I would like more focus on people rewarding people for ideas because it's a weird system. Like right now, a game is a physical bunch of bits 
And a game is also this experience we have and the experience and the rules and the creativity that you come in with that has value. But people don't really pay for that. Do you know what I mean? Because when people buy something, they kind of think, okay, I'm going to buy this box of bits and the experience that I have is almost like a byproduct of that. Mm. But that's almost like the wrong order. People should be really thinking, okay, I'm paying to have this experience. And if I get some bits, then so be it. If it's pretty, then albeit only if it's actually making the experience better. And it kind of saddens me when there is so much focus on the bits. And it saddens me from, a again, getting back to the environment, it saddens me when there's so much focus on plastic, which is arguably not needed. I think that there are some things we could do as an industry. I think that having things internally cellophane wrapped doesn't need to happen. Like I understand externally, it prevents damage. It's a big thing. And externally, you buy the game, you kind of want to know that it's not been played before. But then again, long term, I would like that to be maybe made out of cellulose, something that will biodegrade a bit more easily. I would like the internal bits to be having a paper band around the cards rather than being wrapped in plastic. And I would like people to be thinking about the miniatures. And sure, I'm not saying don't buy games with miniatures or miniatures are bad. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not wanting to give everyone a guilt complex. And we are we don't have to be 100 percent you know green. We cannot be, it's impossible. But what we do have to do, what I would ask people to try and do is to think about where, how they are impacting the world and how their choices as a consumer, as a human going through the world is impacting the world around them and also impacting the people around them. When we talk about, you know, the representation within games of what's on the cover, what are people wearing and also, one thing that hasn't really been talked about is the kind of Anglo-centric default because you get all these names and they're all kinds of American... White dudes? It's, yeah, sure. Like, we are getting better at having a bunch of people of colour, a bunch of black folk, a bunch of women, a bunch of non-binary people. Sometimes you've even got, okay, this is a trans person, like within that game, great. But all the names, it, again, it all feels like it's based off, these are the people who might be living in America. And it very much feels like, why can't, or Europe? Like those are the two broad territories. Why don't we have more names like, um, yeah, Orash or, um, I don't know, um, I'm actually struggling because I'm not familiar with it, but more African names, mm. more like, yeah, just there's been some stuff with Kenichukwu from Nigeria, who's been building up some games. And I think there's been some fantastic broadening of what is possible. And I would love to see more things being done. Also, the last thing I would love to see is more games libraries. In France and Germany, they already have a ludotech. In the UK, I'm imagining somewhere where I could say, you know what, 
here are, I want to give you 70% of my games as a donation because you're going to take care of it and just show them to other people. And I can go to you and I can borrow Root for free with my little library card because, yeah, I would love to play that a bit more. But it, is it worth me buying it when how many times am I actually going to play it? Do you know what I mean? There's oh, yeah. so many games. And so to be able to go somewhere and have the experience and then play it. And then, yeah, I think I would just love to see more situations where people are using these games, not just in profit-making endeavors, but ideally having government support the idea that these are things of cultural significance, things mm. that can generally bring people together. And that would be lovely to see embraced. Speaking of Colin, Whirly, what's his name? Cole. Cole. Jeez. Speaking of Root, my copy of Oath is yet still unplayed, and it just provides me so much guilt. Mm -hmm. And like, there's something different about Oath for sure, because there, there's value in it being your copy. Because ideally, yeah. you're going to change it, and then other people are going. But I then don't know, it does wouldn't come it be down sweet? To wouldn't it be sweet if it was in the communal library, though? And part of it being in the communal library is they had to write a little tale about the mm -hmm. previous adventure, and then you just pick that up and generate. Oh, see, I'd be, I no, no, don't assuage my guilt. I haven't played it yet. I bought <laughs> it. I deserve to feel guilty. I'd, I don't want this guilt, but it should technically motivate me. Oh probably, yeah, for sure. 100%. I would encourage everyone, if you've got games that you've not played, for sure play them. And if you've got games that you have played and you're not playing them, think about how you can pass them on. Because I don't think these are things that we should be holding on to years and maybe we get back to them after three years or so. It should be like, keep them moving. And Sure, you can charge a wee bit of money for them or make sure that the person who picks it up actually values it. I understand the reason for not just giving everything away to your, you know, little brother who's going to just play with these as toys and co-host. But, it, you know, put it up there and say, this is something that I'm not playing, but is it something that you might play? And if it's something that someone else might play, then it's going to bring more joy into the world by it being in someone else's hands. Somebody likes Lords of Waterdeep a lot more than me. So I gave Lords of Waterdeep to them. <laughs> mm. but, yeah. Um, what, uh, man, the, the, oh, goodness. The, uh, there's a lot there. A few more um, tangents than usual. <laughs> uh, I, I think you're the first person just to refer to games as... Uh, this cultural good uh, in, in all our conversations. So I like that. Um, yeah, because for sure, I mean, if you consider, I do believe that games can make a statement. I do believe that games do inform who we are. I think that games are both a reflection on the designer's values and their mm -hmm. worldview. But I also believe that as you make choices through games, and to keep making the same choices through playing the similar games, how are those actions going to impact you in future? I mean, in certain situations, it might just be, okay, I learned to recognize patterns faster. In the case of 
roots, for example, sure, that might be about, um, I don't know, it might be me thinking about strategically, I might be developing my ability to predict, to plan, to add up stuff, but it might also be my ability to negotiate with other people because I've done it within this safe space of a game and to be willing to roll with the punches. I might get the life lesson that it's okay to sometimes be behind. I mean, there's if you look at Roots as a bunch of life lessons, you might say, well, the faction that starts off in front doesn't have to stay in front. You can overthrow the cats for sure. You might mm -hmm. learn that someone who looks weak can actually be strong. You need to understand them really well to understand their position in society. And that element of uncertainty and need to understand things is actually a really good lesson. The concept of games being like mechanics representing like who we are as people and then me thinking about my favorite mechanics being very disruptive to other people's plans <laughs> just makes me feel like a bad person. <laughs> what mechanics do you enjoy? Ruining people's day. <laughs> There's something different though when people have signed up for it, right? Because yeah, like yeah. Kitty Cataclysm, I mean, I made that specifically to be the most disruptive, take that in your face game ever. When you steal cards, you don't take them ran well you do take them randomly from people but you just reach over and physically grab them out of their hands and there's almost something slightly violating from that that it's just like okay steal free i'll steal it from you yoink and you yoink and another one from you yoink and there's something gleeful and almost machiavellian about that and then the fact that you can give cards to someone and then hit them for having too many cards, because that's the crux of the game, where if you've got six or seven or more cards, you can get intensely punished. So you've got to stay below that line, but there is always the possibility of someone doing a one-two card combo on you to take you out. And that's just something that you have to be okay with, but because it is just an intensely short game with five minutes per game quite often, it's like, yeah, who cares? And yeah it's a bit of emotional shielding because of the short game length, but I like yeah. that. Yeah. But everybody knows what they're getting into, you know, mm, mm, mm. a lot of, and then, and then, and then they're like, but I, I got into this, but some people seem to be enjoying this a lot more than others. <laughs> Cause yeah, if I get to snatch cards from people's hands, I'm going to do it in ways that not like, you know, I'm going to be poopy. I'm going to be like, Hey, you, you know, like when you do it, you got to, you got to, it's all about, you know, it's like your body playing. posture and kind of, yeah. you, you, but you, you do have to make sure everyone is okay with it because yeah. there's the elements of who are we within, like, I mean, it's not as if the magic circle is mm -hmm. an ability to do whatever the heck you want. Right. It's right. when you're within the magic circle, it doesn't mean that you can't be a jerk. As an extreme example, if I start shouting in a loud voice, you know, that's not even anything to do with the game. That's just, hey, you're being a bit loud. Could you lower it down? But 
I've definitely been too braggadocious for the magic circle um, in the past, not presently because I've learned um, and also because I can't play games in person <laughs> anymore, but yeah. I, I definitely have in times realized that I um, my enjoyment of disrupting people's plans has ceased to be enjoyable <laughs> for the other people <laughs> at the table. And I've, I have worked hard you know, I think that's something everybody should do when they play games is to be aware of everybody's mm-hmm. enjoyment of the game. So I agree with the sentiments. I think that you have to be, everyone has to be willing to do what it takes to win to some extent. Like if I personally believe that if you want to play um, Carcassonne, which you're placing all these tiles, you're building this stuff up, and some people don't like to leave empty holes. Some people basically have an unspoken house rule, and I was talking to someone else about this, that if there's an empty hole that only one piece can fill, when you get that one piece, you have to fill it. And I would be okay playing that game as long as we make that a spoken rule. And I think that there's people like me who need things explicit. And that's part of what I like about games. And so for those people, when you come to something like coup or when you come to something like diplomacy, where it's like, yes, you are going to be lied to. And of course, when you play the resistance or when you play one night ultimate werewolf, people are going to lie about who they are. That's the nature of things. But at the same time, you need to be aware that this is going to happen to you so not just what are you going to do others but what are you going to have done to you and on the other side you need to be aware of yes I'm going to be okay with this I think there needs to be an ability for anyone around the table at any point to say you know what this is too much for me I need to stop playing and I think that as gamers it would be good for us to not say yeah we have to play every single game until the end I think that if you get half an hour into a two-hour game and only two out of the five people are enjoying it, I would argue that in that situation, those people should probably stop playing because, yeah, there's some people who aren't enjoying it and surely those other two people could find something else to do. But for sure, there's a joy in playing something to the end. But the most important thing is the people and the people's safety and the people being okay and the people knowing that when they leave this table together, they can still have positive relationships with other humans. Like we can still be friends. If you've lied to me, if you've done whatever, I hope that tomorrow we will still be able to have a lovely conversation and have a laugh together. Do you know what I mean? 100%. Well, we, we really appreciate your time. You've shared a lot of interesting insights uh, and lots of different ways about games. Anything else you want to add before we wrap things up today? Well, I was hoping to talk very briefly about my game, a game about wee whimsical creatures and trying to identify Absolutely. them after someone makes noises. And so, um, yeah, the way that this works is you've got five creatures in the middle of the table, numbered one, two, three, or five. Someone shuffles a bunch of cards that are also numbered one, two, three, four, five. They get a 
creature number that they then have to make the noise of. You see what noise they make. Everyone else listens, and then everyone else goes five or three to one vote. Anyone who's in the majority of how they vote gets a point. It doesn't matter whether you are correct or wrong. It just means you've made a good choice. Mm -hmm. You've guessed well based on what was said. Then the person reveals which creature it actually was. And so if it wasn't the majority, then the people who are correct also get a point. But if that was the majority, then the person who made the noise gets a point because they were a good noise maker and they got the majority to guess it correctly. So mm -hmm. it's just make the best, most descriptive noise you can. It's a way of, yeah, you've got to be a bit performative, but it's only maybe like 10 seconds. So it's not as bad as charades. You can still be sat in your seat. And some of the, you can, sometimes if they've got multiple mouths, you might end up making multiple noises or sometimes people end up doing little tappy noises for the um, legs or stuff. And so that isn't just an audio problem. That's just me um, tapping on my wire. <laughs> so sorry for the listeners. But um, yeah, sometimes you've got wee monsters that you think, oh, that might sound like ee, ee, ee. And sometimes it's more of a hmm? And you've got to sort of empathize with them. I was... I invented it in January. I redid it a couple of times. And then when I was thinking, this is going to be my first, what I'm going to call, Bezzy budget bags. So mm -hmm. talking about accessibility, this is literally a print-on-demand bunch of cards, 54 cards, in a plastic bag. So it's a resealable bag. You get it that way. There is no box. And for that, in at UK Games Expo, it was costing five quid. So that was it. And so for that money, you got 80 creatures because they were double-sided. So that's quite a bit of content. I rushed through and I drew all 80 of these in like two weeks. And I did not much else of um, anything that I would consider productive or creative for those two weeks. But it was just so much fun having it randomized and drawing yeah. all the things. And I've been really astonished with how well people have received the game, how willing people are to make noises. And on day one of UK Games Expo, it went gangbusters, as mm -hmm. I believe the Americans say, to the point where 9.50, like before 10 o'clock on Saturday, people were coming back saying, oh, I played this last night. Can I buy a copy? And I had to say, no, we've sold out because oh. I took 50 copies. I thought that would last the weekend <laughs> and it just lasted one day, basically. And so, How do I get it right now to play with my family tonight? You can't get it right now. <sighs> so the way you get it is there is going to be a Kickstarter on the 31st of um, August. That's this month. And it's going to last only three days. I am going to get rid of 16 of the old monsters. I did a whole bunch of votes. I asked people, what's your favorites? So like the top ones are definitely staying, the bottom 32. I did a this or that one, which one do we keep? This or that one, which one do you keep? And 16 of them are going so I can make space for some new ones which might have 
you know, whatever things I think are going to be fun, there will be an option for people to get a monster that's done to their description. You can give me a photo or something to be inspired by, or you can say, hey, I want a monster with 20 mouths. And if that's what you really want me to draw, I will draw it, you know, or like whatever. Might say, hey, a wasp. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing more monstrous. I want a wasp, but it has um, fingers for wings. And four fingers. Yeah, it has fingers for wings. And on each of those fingers, it also has hands. So, like, (laughs) it's got fingers ending in fingers, ending in fingers. So, it's got like tree style wings. That would be quite creepy. And with stingers on the end, fingers with stingers. Ooh, that would be like instead of, so instead of claws, it's got stingers. Yeah, just but yeah, if <laughs> nightmare material. <laughs> so like people could suggest whatever sorts of things they want if they pledge at that level. But for the Kickstarter, again, keeping it really budget, you will be able to back just during those three days for the Kickstarter. It will be one pound for print and play. So if you back for any amount of money, you will get the print and play edition of the original at the end of the campaign, and you will get the print and play of the second edition, hopefully um, within two weeks. And then I will be doing all the new art the following week, gets it sent off to the person who's printing it for me, gets it sent to me by the end of September, and then I will start shipping it out at the end of September. So it will be a very fast turnaround. But I would say that whilst, yes, it is still going to be £5 for the physical copy, I am going to charge the real cost of shipping. So within the UK, that's £3 to USA. Firstly, I am doing the slow two months on a boat method because that's the difference right now. I could charge £15 and I could get it to you hopefully within two weeks or I could charge £6 and get it to you within two months and do it in a more environmentally friendly way. And I understand that some people might be thinking, well, can't I just pay the extra to have it faster? And it's like, ah, can't we just normalize waiting a little bit longer for these things? And so, yeah, also because of the way that shipping works, if you buy four copies, it will cost exactly the same. But if you buy five copies, it will have to jump up another tier, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's it. And it's a fun game. And I hope that if people feel like they would like to be making weird noises with their friends, or if they feel like they know other people who would like to be making weird noises, or if they would like a bunch of creatures for any other reason, maybe you want 80 creatures to color in because you could print it out. And some people have said, oh, I'm really looking forward to using this as a coloring in book. And I say, well, you don't need me to make the coloring in book. Just print out your favorite things. You will get access to all of them. And so, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to hearing more from how people engage with this. Because at the end of the day, the game is just a thing that facilitates the experience. Christopher is going to send out text messages to all interested listeners at their personal cell phone as a reminder (laughs) on August 31st. (laughs) <laughs> or at least to his co-host. I will send one to you, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
How do you have all of our listeners' cell phone numbers, though, Christopher? No. I don't, because I don't even know who all of our listeners are. We have people that listen in the UK and Europe and Australia and I ha- and and like Indonesia, and I have no idea who these people are or why. But thanks for listening. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna figure out where awesome. Indonesia is. I'm I I was looking at this the wee whimsical monsters and uh, let me. And and I'm glad we came back to this because I was like, this is something that I know my whole family can play, and 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 I was very not. But I'm going to be patient. I'm going to get maybe both the print and play, so I can play it immediately, Mm-mm. and then also wait because I'm. Well, I, everyone who backs for any amounts will get the print and play for free. There you so go. Basically, see? it yeah. if you give me one pound, you'll get the print and play. If you're so USA again. This is a thing like postage costs. Even yeah. like when I, like suddenly it's five pounds, maybe two quid of which is going to me. But you're basically having to pay eleven pounds to get a copy to yourself, which is I mean, it's just the way it is. Yeah, it ain't, it ain't free to get to that final mile. Yeah, Mm-mm. that's what the post office calls delivering to people's houses the final mile. Well, thank you so much, Bez. It, it's been uh, immense pleasure and we look forward thank you Bez. i i'm i'm only going to be able to say part of the name because i don't have it all written up but we whimsical creatures what's the rest of the name a game about we whimsical creatures and trying to identify them after someone makes noises okay that, that's the full title well <laughs> thank you again <laughs> and uh appreciate you. anything you want to say ryan no, 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 no. I'm, I'm excited for this. Okay. Thank you, Bez. Yeah. It's been so much fun. Thank you for having me. And, you know, keep up the great show. And, yeah. Thank you. Love to chat maybe in a year or so. Like, let's catch up. And then in 2024. That would be yes. great. At the UK oh, yes. in person. In person. That would be awesome. Come yeah. over for the relaunching of the Cat Gallery. That, yeah. That hopefully we are still podcasting, and that that can be a goal. Cool. Thanks, Bez. You've just been listening to Bordigan Games Season Three, Episode Four, as we talked with Bez about her game, a game about wee whimsical creatures and trying to identify them after someone makes noises, as well as what she thinks about game design and her favorite gaming experiences. Thanks for listening as we continue to explore the world of tabletop gaming. You can find all sorts of things that we make all over the internet. Happy gaming, and we'll catch you later. <laughs>